like it's all in your head like it's all there you just have to we're actively i think we're actively preventing ourselves from like creating which is so insane because like at what age did we stop dancing you know at what age did we stop singing when we were like at what age did we not go into our closet and just pick our favorite colors even if they didn't match i find myself saying is this even allowed when i see artists that i resonate with i think to myself how are they allowed to do this? Is this allowed? Right. And when I find myself saying that, I know that's art that I resonate with because it's something that I haven't allowed myself. Mm. And, you know, it's like, yes, it's allowed. You get to do whatever the f*** you want to do. Who made the rules? There's no rules here. There's no rules in this town. Hey, hey, I'm April Sawarso Rivera, and welcome to Love in Public. You are listening to CITR 101.9 FM. We're broadcasting live from the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territories of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. This is a space where we talk about what radical listening looks like in the age of disconnect. Before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to Leva, Megan, and Violet, who have asked me on several occasions when the next episode of Love in Public would be coming out. We took an unintentional, indefinite creative hiatus there, and sometimes I forget that there are people who actually listen to this thing. Not to get too gushy, but it really warms my heart whenever someone comes up to me or to anyone on the team to talk about the pod. It really is such a little labor of love. I am here with two of my favorite creatives and two of my very good friends, Tessa Mock and Aliza Youssef. I am going to try and stop myself from going into a love fest, but spending time with the both of you and consuming your art feels like turning the ignition. Just being in your presence expands my idea of what art is and what an artist looks like. And more than that, I feel like the two of you have this humility and generosity to you. You'll use your social media channels to hype other creatives up and you treat people who are nurturing seeds of creativity like they already have an exhibit, like they are already featuring their work in a museum. And I think that that is so special. So I'm really excited to be talking with the both of you today. Thank you. So excited to be here. (laughs) I thought we could start by talking about your art accounts. You both have Instagram accounts where you put some of the art that you create, where you share it with the world, and they have very unique handles. Tessa, (laughs) yours is called Generative-ish, and Aliza, yours is Archives. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the origin stories, where those names came from. So Generative-ish comes from a comic strip that my brother texted me. So this big yellow cartoon man walks up to a little yellow cartoon man who's scrolling through something on his computer, and the big yellow man remarks about how sad his life must be because he spends all his time just consuming content on his computer. And he says, don't you ever want to make something? And the little yellow cartoon man tells him, yeah, interpreting is generative. And I just like that, like the idea that you can consume content and that still generates ideas and you're still making connections between things. And I think just any form of generating is a good thing. My favorite part, and we talk about language all the time, Mm -hmm. you're in linguistics. My favorite part of that handle is the ish at the end. (laughs) The generative 
ish, generative question ish, mark. A little bit. <laughs> you know, like I just also never want to take anything too seriously. Like I think creating things is all about like connecting back to the messiness of the things you created in childhood. So I used to just have the one account where I would post, you know, life updates and occasionally my art for family and friends. But then I, I guess I had this tendency of posting things and then like deleting them immediately after because I felt like, you know, like I'd be proud of it. That's why I'd post it. But then I'd look at it like in a different angle or like the next day I'd just be like unhappy with it. And I'd be like, I think my thought process was like, I don't really deserve to take this space, like call myself an artist if I'm not like 100% proud of what, you know, I put out. I mean, I kept doing that, but then I, I realized like that's not what art is at all. Like it's supposed to be this expression of self and it's just, it shouldn't be like limited by this idea of wanting to seem a certain way to people. So I decided to make a separate account, an archive of my art. That's where it sort of comes from. <laughs> and there I'll like post whatever art, the good, the bad, the ugly and everything in between. Do you have a hard time with this digital journal of yours? Because I know we've spoken about we keep journals and planners and it's so hard not to rip it, rip a page out if you don't like the look of it. Do you have a hard time with archives as well, not archiving or deleting posts that you create and then you think, oh, that no longer aligns with who I am as an artist or I'm actually fully embarrassed by that? I feel like it's almost scarier in a way because when you're doing it in a journal that's for you right there are times where I can just like stop myself from ripping out a page or like I paint over it but I think when you're posting art on the digital space it's no longer only yours it's like you're sharing that space with people and I I preach a lot about showing up and being your 100 authentic self but I struggle with that too I struggle with being perceived and I think as artists as well like you There's so much like pressure to just sort of achieve a certain style and like every piece of yours needs to be like a masterpiece. But then at the same time, we need a break too, you know? I feel like that's a good segue into something that I really wanted to pick both of your brains about. And it's your relationship with social media as creators Mm -hmm. and how we very much live in an era where you can monetize the things that you're good at if you create a personal brand for yourself. And if it's not just Tessa, who also writes and who also creates art and will design tattoos or design film posters, but it's also Tessa, the entire brand, and everything you're putting on both your personal account and your art account says something about you. I don't know how you've seen social media has changed and evolved because of that. I think I struggle with that a lot because I only recently labeled myself as more of a writer than a visual artist. I think that I have lived most of my life trying to fit into the visual artist Mm -hmm. box and really producing work and working towards that label more. And it's only recently that I started writing for myself and then sharing it on social media. And I think, honestly, people resonate on social media a lot more with visual art because, you know, you can scroll, you can look at it, you don't have to spend too much time looking at it. So... You know, while I my close friends will support my writing and stuff, and I appreciate that so much, I think social media is not meant for that mm. that kind of art mm. medium. So that's been definitely a struggle. It's like, this is the art that I want to be creating. This is the writing that I want to be doing. But social media and the way that um, most creators are getting their content out there doesn't quite fit with the medium that I want to be doing. Right. And then I also wonder just the fact that you have an audience at all. Does that affect how you're creating art? I know I showed you something that we saw in We're Not Really Strange. The other day, Aliza, and it was you want a larger audience and then you miss how it felt when no one was watching. Exactly. Exactly. That's one thing. And I I feel like the algorithm as well, like is so biased in the sense that like it's so hard to um, be seen as an artist and stuff like you have to 
there are certain things the algorithm like picks up, you know, faces and just like visual arts and stuff like that, which means like you really have to sort of make yourself seem marketable to a certain extent, which kind of takes away from the authenticity of the art, which is like something that I <laughs> it's the you know, like the whole thing about like archiving and stuff like that. I hate doing that because it's like even my bad pieces say a lot about who I am and they've they've helped me and they've like sort of helped shape my craft. But you can't help but try to like curate this <laughs> sort of like perfect vision just because the algorithm says so. Yeah, it's the algorithm and it's also being financially compensated for things, right? Like if you create a brand for yourself and you have a cohesive style, then you'll literally be hired to make art for people. And I think it's definitely pushed onto artists that we need to be cohesive in what we make. We need to only release things that are finished pieces. And that's a lot of pressure. I was just going to say, which is why I'm such a fan of your writing. I didn't even know that you could write <laughs> until you did. And then I was like, dude, that's so amazing. Like keep doing it. I think as someone who consumes the content on both of your accounts and consumes a lot of content from people I think are insanely talented and artistic, it is so humbling to me to see people put work out that is in progress. Because in that way, there's nothing dishonest about that. It took me years. It took me so much practice. It took me stuttering and stumbling to get to where I am now. And I am being fully transparent in the fact that this didn't happen to me immediately. I'm mm -hmm. being honest about the fact that I had to be really, I had to be a novice for a lot longer than I was an expert. I remember we were talking about how we all believe that like creativity is like this innate thing that we can all tap into. And the people who haven't like, it's not that you're not talented or something. You just haven't seen that part of yourself. But I think it's because of that pressure. You know, we just see the overnight kind of progress. But in reality, it's just like years of like sketching strangers on the bus or something until you actually get somewhere. I, I used to be so obsessed with this idea of just... Because in school, like I was I was a good artist. But one, one thing that my teacher told me was that like my paintings or, you know, the stuff that I created was never like cohesive or anything. They were just all very different and like chaotic. And it was a very talented friend of mine. And she always had like a really distinct style. And I, I spent years just trying to figure out what my style was until I realized like there is no such thing. Right. And how stifling would that be to have to create everything to look like the same person in the same period of time created it. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about what you, we were just talking a little bit about, like, is creativity innate? Can, is it something that everyone can tap into? Do you feel like there's a difference between everyone being creative inherently and everyone being an artist inherently? Do you think those are two different things? I think artists are just people who have sort of realized that they can create. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I think that you become an artist when you take the first step into that ocean that is like creating and creation. It's I think it's the source of like all life and everything. That's where where it all happened. And so it's very innate to us in the sense that like when you look back when people lived in the, the, the cavemen ages or something, you know, <laughs> dream time in Australia. Like I remember learning a little bit about that, like people just um, used to understand or I mean, they didn't understand the world around them, but they used to try to understand through art and stuff. You know, they like paint on walls and it's just like it's so innate to us like how can how can you even think for a second that you're not capable of it you know? Ooh, okay there's a quote that you showed me at one point Elise, and I wonder if you remember it oh yeah the quote is by uh, Gregory Orr and it's to be alive not just the carcass but the spark that's crudely put but if we're not supposed to dance 
why all this music? If we're not supposed to dance, oh. then why all this music? <laughs> Amen. Where do you feel as of lately you've been finding the most inspiration? Ooh. Okay, I think I could take this two routes. Um, one of them, I think, is it's an art form that I don't produce myself, music, but one that I've always wanted to produce effortlessly, like a dream of mine is just to like jam. I think that jam <laughs> sessions are such an interesting like creative process that I have always lusted after being able to engage in. Um, so I think like honestly binge watching just people improvising on YouTube, being around people who are musicians and will just start jamming, um, just so inspiring because that gets to just like a presence of creating together mm. that I think my solitary practice of writing and solitary practice of drawing doesn't hit. Mm. So that's just so inspiring to be around. Maybe one day I can take part in it. We'll see. Inshallah. Inshallah. You know, it's a very collaborative process, mm-hmm. right? Like I love just watching um, – like the, I'm obsessed with watching the NPR Tiny Desks. You know, like they're I like the love best. Tiny Desk. Have you seen the one with Imogen Heap? Yes. So good. That one is Crazy. my She's favorite. Masterful. masterful. Yeah, and I actually one of my favorites. It's not a Tiny Desk, but do you guys know Mark Rebier? I don't. Who okay. Is that? Oh yes. Do you? Yes, yes, yes. He's just this quirky, weird, like DJ guy. Have you seen the episode with Erica Badu? Stop. That's what I'm about to reference. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me that didn't shoot you into a. Oh my god! I saw that, and it was just like, I don't know. They're like, I, I want to be with them. I wanted to be there so bad. Yeah. Wait, let me let in. Me in. <laughs> what, let me in. No, I actually mean let me in. What was it about? <laughs> um. So it was basically like. Uh, I would say an hour long, an hour and a half mm-hmm. long um, video, barely any any editing to it. And it's just Mark Rebier, who's this DJ, Reggie Watts, who I think is like musician slash comedian, and Erica Badu. No introduction needed. Um, <laughs> and they're just in a room together. They start by talking, just having a weird conversation, mm. totally unscripted. And then they start making beats about like out of whatever's in the room right yeah some are instruments some are very much not instruments Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the entire hour and a half video is just (laughs) them like connecting on the weirdest wavelength ever amazing making the weirdest music ever Mm. but that is like creative improvisation improvisational music at its best yeah that is what i'm watching when i get home and it also reminds me of this one interview i watched with dolly parton where she used her acrylic nails as i've seen that yeah so good who was it with it was with another like icon with oprah was that not an oprah Oprah? i would not be surprised i don't know yeah. So, yeah. Maybe we could talk a little bit about what it means to be a multidisciplinary artist because that's mm-hmm. how I see the both of you. Mm-hmm. What I love is that you never will confine yourself mm-hmm. to just creating visual art or music or mm-hmm. writing. You see yourself as all of the above. And I wanted to ask if there's a specific medium that's been bringing you the most joy right now. Mm, right now. Well, it's, it's not – I guess sketching would be the medium, but the practice of just um, – uh, you know, sketching people on the bus on transit. Elise and I are roommates for those listening, and she goes on the same bus ride every day, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And you've told me that you see the same people, regulars, on your way down to this cafe. Sometimes it's like new faces, but I just love like bumping into old faces and just it's it's like the most. 
It's it's a funny relationship, you know. I mean, it isn't even a relationship. They don't know I exist, but you know them intimately. You know the slope of their nose, exactly. Literally, like I couldn't have said it better myself. It's it's a very um, heartwarming feeling when I see like strangers that I've like sort of sketched or. I mean, I don't want to say studied, but like you know, from a distance, I've just admired them. They're like I I see them as like muses and. When I see them again, it's just one of those things where I'm like, I'm I'm so glad you're still here, man. Mm. You know what I mean? Sometimes you'll see them with their loved ones, and then you get to see like a like an insight of what they are like in love, and it's just like it's so wonderful to see that kind of thing. And so what I've been doing is I just like sketch people on on the bus, and it all started like when this one day my headphones. I usually listen to music on transit, as everyone does, or like scroll through my phone. But um, this one time, my phone and my headphones were both dead and I was like well cool I guess I'm gonna have to raw dog reality right here (laughs) (laughs) yeah so I'm sitting on the bus you know or or no I'm sitting on the like you know bus stop and this old Mexican woman starts talking to me and then I just I don't know Frida Kahlo comes into conversation little footnote here Aliza and I got a huge black and white portrait Mm. of Frida before we bought a lamp for our living room that (laughs) tells anyone anything honestly yeah she's she's great and she's she's been the topic of so many of my conversations with strangers and most of these strangers are also like old women which is like really like cute and wholesome actually the best it's the best and um so I wrote this one thing basically when um, after following this very wholesome interaction and this is a diary entry and it's not exactly the most uh, I guess me writing it's stream of consciousness <laughs> yeah it's stream of consciousness it's brain debris basically. these past few days I haven't been able to listen to much music but I'm not complaining in that time I've been able to talk and truly engage with my surroundings I'm going to start collecting conversations on transit like they're souvenirs maybe the world with without music isn't so bad after all that's just a little exit I love I'm that in. and I love that you brought up the idea of just like transit because I Mm. feel like that's such a huge theme for me too. Just being on the bus, Mm. watching the world go by because transit is this weird like in-between place where you have no responsibilities. You have responsibilities before you get on the bus and Mm. after you get off. But Mm. there's that like sweet little 15 minutes or whatever where you have no responsibilities but to like look out the window and Mm. look at the people around you. And you're stuck with these people in a way that's so much better than being stuck in an elevator. Because I feel like when you're in an elevator, it's not socially acceptable to look at people. Whereas when you're on the bus, you can glance, right. you can look. Yeah. There yeah. was this one time that I was on the bus and I saw this father and he was reading his son picture mm. books. And the tenderness that I saw him treat his son with, I could not help but cry. And I did not look away. And I told him afterwards, I said, you are a, a wonderful dad. Aww. <laughs> so sweet. And how often do we mm. break that? the film Mm. between us and strangers. Yeah. I, ooh, I have a quote for this one. So this is from a piece by Dionne Brand, who is Mm. an extraordinary black poet author. She said, what floats in the air on a subway train like this is chance. People stand or sit with a thin magnetic film of their life wrapped around them. They think they're safe, but they know they're not. Any minute you can crash into someone else's life. And if you're lucky, it's good. It's like walking on light. I love us so much. (laughs) 
We are big transit fans here. Yes, we love our transit fans. The 14, the 99. Shout out know. to the 14. Yes. We're going to take a quick break. Maybe you're on the bus while you're listening to this episode of Love in Public. And if you are, stay with us. We're going to play a quick song. This is a song that Tessa, Elise, and I all discovered around the same time, and we immediately fell in love with it. One of my favorite memories is listening to this song together in my apartment. The sun was setting and everything was illuminated, so much so that we can make shadow puppets on the walls while we listened. This is Lauro by Pinback. You are listening to CITR 101.9 FM. I'm your host, Abril, and you are listening to Love in Public. It is now time for my favorite segment of the show, Show and Tell. We ask all of our guests to bring in items, people, facts, lyrics, songs, anything that speaks to them creatively and share a little bit about why that has stirred them creatively. Tessa, do you want to start with something that's inspired you? I would love to. Um, Just some context for this piece. This is written by Erin Soros, who I actually got the chance to speak with. She came into one of my classes, and um, this is from one of her pieces titled Who Could Have Lived? And she just writes in a way that I've never seen before, heard before. Um, Yeah, here's the excerpt. It isn't my neighborhood. It isn't my car either, but I seem to be driving it, my slick hands slipping on the steering wheel of this borrowed vehicle that carries me in such a protected fashion through my city, the car's gleaming metal skin between myself and the people who like to lurch their legs right in front of traffic on Main Street, as if to say a human body should be value enough to stop two tons of gasoline-powered steel. They flaunt sloppy smiles and missing teeth and bruises on cheeks and tracks on arms like the ones that once marked my brother. I follow signage. Storefronts, street signs, even the words on people's t-shirts directing me to the next light. Each sign holds a secret code, and if you read them all together, they form one long, beautiful sentence that will tell me where I can find my beloved. Let's call him B, that bulbous letter we learned to shape so soon after the first one that is all straight lines like these streets. I keep driving, past Granville Street and turning on Burrard Street, along Burrard Bridge, two letter Bs under the lucid blue sky, and I know it isn't safe for me to be driving, Not when every piece of the alphabet is ricocheting within the car, even now when I'm no longer rattling down Seymour Street, but see more and more sky above, as if the car could lift right off into the horizon. 
I park the car, a few blocks west of South Granville, where the lawns are green and the houses tidy and people obey crosswalks. No one chicken dancing against all the rolling wheels. I throw away the keys, or at least they are gone, those keys to that car that is not mine, and I know this neighborhood really isn't mine any more than the last one, but I am walking through it now and asking strangers, so many strangers, if they can help me to find liberty. The store where my sister works, where I'm sure my family is holding the surprise wedding. Sunlight glints off glass storefronts. On South Granville, the women are wearing heels and the men talking to smartphones. No one I pass here has signs on their t-shirts. I modulate my voice to sound reasonable. Excuse me, can you tell me where to find liberty? They say left, and I think about being left wing. I think about being left, how my beloved has left me. Now I am sure B can be found if I could just turn left, but I have turned left too many times. And again, I ask a stranger and she says right. And I think of human rights and my right to be free of that other human, let's call him D, the man who harassed me at an American college so far from this shiny, bright neighborhood that is not mine. I can see his face now in the faces of strangers, even though I have flown away from that American college where D once left a gift inside my locker, inside the women's changing room, private space inside a private space. But here I am in public. Here, these are the people of the neighborhood, the shopkeeper and the hairdresser and the waitress in the restaurant, where I ask to use the washroom, and I am once more in a private space, and as I wash my hands, I can hear the lyrics on the sound system, giving me clues about how to escape D and find B, and I am looking for freedom, I am looking for liberty. Can you tell me where to find liberty? Wow. That, I have nothing to say about that, except for it feels like an offering. And I love how playful Soros is Mm -hmm. with language. The line about Seymour Street and how she wanted to see more, Mm -hmm. how a stranger told her to go left and she felt left behind. Mm -hmm. That is something that I just resonated so deeply with is how she just takes language Mm -hmm. and like shatters it and plays with it and warps it and breaks it apart, puts it back together. And as a linguistics major, I'm so used to zooming into it with a very, like, logistical, like, technical clinical. lens. Mm. Clinical. Like, it feels so sterile. Mm. Um, and she just completely shatters that. And I love this piece for that reason. Yeah. And I love this piece as well. Mm. Tess and I were in the same class when Aaron Soros came in. And the piece is a larger meditation. What is it called? It's called Who Could Have Lived. Who Could Have Lived. And it's a larger meditation on the space between strangers and what it means to be a good neighbor and what it means to do more than just offer that glass of water. But the way that she takes it from the personal is the political. I'm just in awe. I'm in awe. And I think another thing that's really important for the context of this piece is that she does research on um, the lines between poetry and mania. And she herself has... um, been into psych wards many times. She she herself struggles with mania. And I think that it's the first time that I have ever seen a writer and an artist just like so fully embrace how those two things hold hands rather than trying to separate them Mm. because it so clearly is what makes her work her work. Right. Tying it to the way that we are, in psychology, we talk about social identity complexity and Aliza is a psych major as well. So you'll know this. And 
we are the accumulation of so many different mm-hmm. identities and in-groups and how do we decide when to compartmentalize and when do we decide to integrate? And mm-hmm. as an artist, I guess I want to ask a little bit about self-portraiture and autobiography because the way I see it, everything that I put out into the world is a reflection of me and a reflection of the beautiful complexity of all of the me's mm-hmm. that exist, if that makes any sense. How do you decide what to bring, what of yourself to bring to the work? Art for me is like a very, it, it's like a meditation. And so what I decide to bring to it is very much like what I'm what I'm feeling in the moment. I think when I'm creating art, the best art that I've created has always been the art that I've created for myself. I've realized when I, when I try to sort of um, think about oh what would people want to see i always find myself like compromising a part of like a, a very important and like sacred part of myself that makes my art you know what i mean so like i think the more un- unapologetic i am with my portrayals like my my self portraiture highlighting all the all the things that i don't really exactly like about myself or the things that um that's like the 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 best art that I've made. Right. Mm -hmm. When you're honest with yourself about your insecurities and the parts that don't feel as rosy, that feels like good, authentic art to you. Yeah. 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 Mm. Yeah. That's how I see it. And another question, and this is for the both of you, I was talking to my brother on FaceTime the other day and we got into an argument, but one of the best kinds of arguments where you disagree, but you defend your opinion and you acknowledge where the other person is coming from. Mm. And we were talking about how strict we are about our work being rooted in self-knowledge. And what I mean by that is he's a musician. And we were talking about the ethics of him writing a song and speaking to the experiences of someone else in his life. Mm. Is that right? Is there care in that? And I said to him, I don't think I could ever put something out and not ask for permission or not Mm. consult that person first. And he said, no, good art, It can be messy and can be chaotic and can be truthful. And your artistic response includes those other people. And for Mm. you to police it in that way, think about all the art that wouldn't exist today. Mm. That's an interesting dilemma that I definitely Mm. struggle with as well because I think of immediately like exploitation that's possible when Mm. doing that. The kind of work that street photographers taking photos Mm. of homeless people Mm. is just straight up exploitation. But then I also think about how art never exists on an island, how Mm. everything you make is inspired by someone else, whether it's an artist, whether it's someone you see on the street. What is the line between exploitation and Mm. inspiration? And I definitely don't have answers. Um, I think that when your art is directly coming from another person's story, that they need to be aware of it and Mm. be benefited by Mm. it in some way. But I also think that, like, you know, art is just always a collaborative process and it's it's never coming just from your mind. It's it's such a culmination of everything that you have seen in that day in that year. Right. Mm. Aliza, would you want to tell us a little bit about what you brought, a piece that has inspired you, your show and tell object? My show and tell object. I was going to um, show this journal that I talked a bit about it that I uh, carry around with me everywhere. But I'm deciding to show something else. I brought a little pack of cards with me. It's called Clash of the Titans. And it's like a little, like, I don't know what it is. 
It's like they're playing cards. They're basically, it's like a game that my sister, my older sister, Zanira, she actually got this for me while she was visiting an art museum. And she did this thing um, a year ago when I was going through a difficult time. And I was also thinking a lot about what I'm doing with my life. And also just wondering what my, like, if basically art is something worth pursuing. And it was really lovely what she did was just go to every museum in in the U, like in London I think and collect these postcards and send them to me and each of them had like a very positive like sort of um, like affirmation on it and this one she sent like a um, this card game and there was one artist when she actually eventually uh, you know when we finally met in person like after like two years. Um, we were playing this card game together finally, and we came ac- across this one card. Um, and it's basically, it has like little pictures of the artists and little descriptions of them. And this one's Gustave Courbet. <laughs> and she read the description and she said that, yeah, he's you. <laughs> read it to <laughs> us. You have Gustav. to read it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Tell us about Gustave. So Courbet st- styled himself as a swaggering outsider. <laughs> He gloried in taking ordinary events, a burial in a village, or taboo subject matter, a gynecological view of a woman's genitalia, and treating them in a matter-of-fact way that nevertheless had a dramatic flair. In one early self-portrait, he painted himself as a crazed man. <laughs> what a guy. A swaggering outsider. You know what? That has Elisa written Smash all over it. Exactly. I read that and I was like, wow, this is... It's true. And... And there's a little note that she had. Um, she packed this card in and it says, I've been collecting postcards from every art gallery I go. Hope you like them. Never give up on your art. And I think that that was like <laughs> very much needed at that time. And every time when I'm, you know, feeling a bit doubtful of my like abilities or um, lacking inspiration, I look at this little card of Gustave Courbet. I look at Gustav. He gives you his cute little smile. <laughs> it's quite terrifying, actually. That, look is, at that. Terrifying. that is terrifying. But I, I'm sure I have a self-portrait just like that. With that expression. I also feel like part of the charm of this gift is the way that it was that it was packaged for you. And it's like, here's a loved one writing a little note. And it's not a 12-page love letter. No. It's a small note mm-hmm. at the right time that would have buoyed you up. Shout out Gustav. Shout out Gustav. <laughs> we love Gustav in this household. Maybe we could segue into some of the art pieces that the two of you brought in today. Aliza, mm-hmm. can we start with yours? And I was hoping that Tessa could describe it on air for those who Ooh. can't see it. Let's go. My eyes are being blessed as we speak. Absolutely. <laughs> this is one of my favorite pieces, and it's one I've seen before. Um, so there's five little squares and they're all very brightly colored in classic Aliza color tones. She's it's Wes us, Anderson. It's Wes Anderson but with Better. like some pop to it. Mm. It's like the earthy burnt orange and the greens, some like pops of blue. There is a self-portrait, I'm assuming. And I always just admire how you can do self-portraits in crazy colors because I yeah. have tried that <laughs> and cannot do it. It looks like a five-year-old drew it. I love I would, it. I want a five-year-old looking yes. portrait. Yes, we need that. Okay. <laughs> next time. I want it. That's one. the next piece that goes up in our apartment. Okay. Yeah. Say less. <laughs> um, but there's, so there's an illustration of a birthday cake that says, maybe you'll get your shit together this year, heart. <laughs> um, then there's an iMessage that says, 
I have no fucking clue what I am doing and it's not delivered. And there's potato chips on the ground. There is plants on a super like colorful wall. There is a woman with, um, you can just see her ass and it's just her wearing big girl pants. But I um, love that she has hair underwear. on her bum. She has hair on That's her bum. That's very important to me. Yeah. Stretch marks. I tried to do stretch marks. Stretch marks. Yeah, the whole thing is just, it feels youthful, it feels real, it feels like, damn, I'm heard, you know? Like, it's the messiness of just, like, existing and feeling, like, feeling bad. Um, But seeing it on this little postcard, so colorful and beautiful, like... Yeah. Aliza, what's the story behind it? And can you talk to us a little bit about where this piece of art is? Okay, well, the story behind it is, yes, I... Ugh, birthdays are so funny to me. I just I I have trouble keeping track of my own and other people's and every time of the year it's just like um it's like a reminder I feel like I've seen I've oh, I've always seen it as like this sort of grim reminder of all the things that I I wanted to do in the beginning of the year and how I haven't done it yet and it's just like it's funny cuz I I think <laughs> I think back to how like when I was in middle school or high school, my my New Year's resolution re- resolution was like get better at math for like five years straight, and it was I just was like <laughs> get better at math. You're like Aww. next year, <laughs> literally. You know what? This one wasn't it. This, this year was not it. my year. Yeah, and it's just like I think it's it's a piece that I think reflects that that sort of like loneliness and sadness that comes with just like feeling like you haven't really gone anywhere. Even though the time is passing, you still feel like you're stagnant in that same, you know, like place. But um, I think part of the reason why I made it like this is because I, I wanted it to also like portray the messiness. And I wanted it to sort of like I'm glad that it resonates with you because I think that's what I was going for. Because I realized like I know that this is a very natural thing. But no one's talking about but it. No one's talking about it. It feels like an ode to 20-somethings oh, everywhere. Yeah, exactly. This is a very... 20 typical of your 20s and isn't it crazy like how we're just we're we're experiencing it together but it feels so lonely yeah, yeah. it feels distant mm-hmm. so yeah that was the story behind it but you can actually these are these postcards are on sale at this beautiful initiative that um crystal lao started called vancouver vending and it's at dunsmuir street you guys can go check that vending machine out um my a lovely friend of mine also is part of it. I think her art handle is Smackerdoodles with a five. So like five Smackerdoodles. Go check it out, guys. Shout out to Vancouver Vending. Yeah, Shout out local. to the most amazing, incredible creative community that this city has. My mom just went and bought one. Bought your art piece at Vancouver Vending. That oh, made my day. That Jenny, made my week. Jenny has a copy of our Ode to 20-something. And Aliza's. it's her favorite thing ever. <laughs> it's, it's going on her wall as soon as she gets home. That's so sweet. I love Jenny. Shout out to Miss Jenny. (laughs) Tessa, would you want to share the piece that you brought in? Yeah, I would love to. Um, So I am a server at a little diner in downtown Vancouver, and I am the only person who works the late shift. So I get to meet a lot of funny characters, and this is just kind of an ode to one of my favorite regulars who comes in. It's called Half Tomato Juice, Half Canadian Molson. Charlie comes in nearly every day. He takes the seat by the window and lists the seven seas to an audience of me and the broken jukeboxes. 
Some days he exists in the same world as the rest of us, most days not. But every day I fill a glass for him, half tomato juice, half Canadian Molson, and I listen to his gospel with a towel over my shoulder and plates teetering on my arms. He calls me by my name, and I sit down with him when it's quiet in the diner. These are often the only moments of stillness during my long, late shifts. Charlie tells me about war and construction and remnants of a thought. Our conversation loops and careens, and after hours of my customer service script, I bathe in its incoherency. Sometimes I wonder where Charlie goes when he walks out the door of the diner. I've heard what he thinks is the best way to walk across scaffolding, but he has never told me about family. He has never talked about a home. Mm. I think Charlie and I exist to each other only in the hours stretched tight between day and night, only within the four walls of this diner at dusk. He exists to me in the washed-out blues of his favorite table and the last sip of beer he never drinks. I'm sure I exist to him in the same way. To him, I am the whir of a milkshake machine. I am bright red countertop stools and fingernail taps on his table as I walk by. It is okay, necessary even, for us to exist in each other's worlds in this way, as nothing more and for no longer than this. beautiful. Tessa, I'm saying this not because I'm your friend, not because I'm biased, but in a very (laughs) objective way. I see so much cross-pollination between that piece that you've read and Aaron Soros's work. And I don't necessarily mean that she was inspired by your work or that you were inspired by hers. I mean that you are moved by the same things. Mm. I appreciate that so much. Mm. Thank you. I felt like I was there, just like seeing the whole thing, yeah. I want to talk about sidelines. This has been a recurring theme in my mind sidelining as a verb as something that we do to others and to ourselves can you tell me about your experiences either feeling sidelined as an artist or the ways in which you have sidelined yourself and kind of and kept yourself on the outside of what it means to be an artist or a creator can I like clarify what you mean by sidelining? absolutely um For me, I think of sidelines and I think of a basketball game and the person who's sitting on the bench or who is the wallflower at a party who doesn't let themselves fully participate or who is systematically or intentionally not let in. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think I do this to myself all the time. Are you you your worst critic? Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, and it's so weird to, like, produce something that – as you're writing it and as soon as you finish it, you're so, so proud of, then as soon as you take your mind off the work that you just created and kind of like start consuming other people, scrolling through Instagram, talking to other people, suddenly this work, change your work changes shape so entirely mm. in your head and it just is like, that was a nice draft. Mm. Let's <laughs> let's wait until we make something real. Yeah. You know? And there's nothing wrong with protecting your work in its infancy and only giving it to people that you know will hold it and care for it. Mm-hmm. I know that you and I, Tessa, have spoken about the titles that we let ourselves sit in and mm-hmm. how I feel a lot more comfortable calling myself a performer than I do mm-hmm. calling myself a writer or an mm-hmm. actor, even though those are also things that I do. Right. And I wonder, Aliza, do you have... Are there things that you can identify with more easily than others? Um, I I feel like when I th- think too much about it, I can't. I, I struggle identifying with anything at all, just one thing at all. And that's why I find art as so comforting because you don't have to be anything when you're creating art. You just have to be what you are feeling. 
And I think that's the problem with like, you know, social media, while it's so like helpful in, in you know, giving us inspiration and also like we can, you know, sort of reach so many people through social media, but th that's the tendency that we're like so, um, that, that's so easy to lean into because at the end of the day, like I think artists are really like harsh on themselves, you know? And and that that's just like amplified when you have like, you know, stuff just like constant reminders of the ways in which everyone around you seems to have it together, seems exactly. to have created art. Yeah. Exactly. Which is which is funny because it that's like depleting the whole purpose of art. It's just to be present. Like that's and that's why like I, I try not to like the moment that I let go of like this idea of like achieving a certain style or something that could make me more like or my art more digestible like the moment that I just like sort of leaned into the chaos was was the moment that I realized like I can do anything like I'm I proud of you for that for not making the things that you're producing more palatable for anyone else right right and it takes a while like it's easier said than done like when I try to encourage my friends also to tap into their creativity it's really easy to be like oh yeah you know like just just like go for it but you know there's always that there's always going to be a critic um, there and I always I always say like it's actually kind of like it's funny because it is kind of embarrassing to make art <laughs> it it's is. so embarrassing it's so embarrassing <laughs> because being an artist is the most embarrassing thing on this earth right and you can't even it's like you can't blame it on anything because that's you that's but but that's what makes it so precious and I think when I first started like for instance like making music I was also just like really inspired by like I mean like those videos like um Mark Rebier, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I just saw like how he just goes in there, and he's like he's basically like just saying whatever comes to his mind. It's but nonsense. It's nonsense, but it's so good. And I looked at that, and I was like, damn! Like imagine being able to just like it's all in your head. Like it's all there. You just have to. We're actively. I think we're actively preventing ourselves from like creating, which is so insane. Because like at what age did we stop dancing? You know, at what age did we stop singing when we were like... At what age did we not go into our closet and just pick our favorite colors, even if they didn't match? I find myself saying, is this even allowed when I see artists that I resonate with? I think to myself, how are they allowed to do this? Is this allowed? Right. And when I find myself saying that, I know that's art that I resonate with because yes. it's something that I haven't allowed myself. Mm. And... You know, it's like, yes, it's allowed. You get to do whatever the f*** you want to do. Who made the rules? There's no rules here. There's no well, rules in this town. <laughs> no. I want to flip the script a little bit. We talked about your inner critic and how that is often your most hostile reader yourself. And I want to ask the both of you, who in your life is your most generous reader? <laughs> That's a very interesting question because I feel like it's so scary to send your art to anybody, you know what I mean? Um, but I would definitely say my older sister has done a lot. I mean, my family's always been really um, supportive of my artistic pursuits. But I think my older sister just goes above and beyond to, like, let me know that, hey, this is something that is... Oh my God, she sent me a text that, if you don't mind, I want to read. And I remember reading this and feeling like, yo... <laughs> I'm about to cry. And I did. Zanira, I hope you're okay with this. The dedication you put into it in the quiet hours of the day and late into the night, it makes me think, hey, if a starving artist can make it, at least I'm not starving. 
JK. It makes me think, wow, I really have no excuse to give up on my dreams. Art is often an inspiration for many, but to witness art in process, that's something few get to see. And it's something I've been lucky enough to witness through my life, thanks to you. That's for the inspiration. So yeah, what if you're not big shot artists right now? If you keep honoring your craft, you will get there one day in one shape or form or another. I can see art is so entwined with your soul. To leave it would be like giving up on God's purpose for you. The trick is now to find a way that you can keep doing this without starving. Lol. <laughs> Oh, yeah. She's a... felt so seen by that. Yeah, I would have been bawling. I was, and I was. She's a doctor, by the way. So <laughs> her saying this, like, it's just like it's so validating. And um, I think, I think art as a practice, it's it's so looked down upon, especially like I think in our as a as a brown creative as well. That's one of the things where it's not seen like as a practical thing to do. And um I think I've really internalized that. So, you know, when I when I get messages like this from my loved ones and even when my family show up to, you know, support my art, um, it means the world to me. And I think they are, for that reason, the first people that I want to show my Aww. stuff to. Mm-hmm. Tessa, who's your most generous reader? First place has to go to my parents because they are just so, like, crazy generous and supportive when it comes to my work. Second, you, Abril. Oh, my gosh, stop. (laughs) I will cry on air today. Don't do this. 100% you. Because you just know how to read a work and see straight through to the person who created it and see exactly where the inspiration comes from. You know how to ask the questions about it. You know how to compliment, like... The small details that no one else has picked up. Um, so I just, I value you reading my work so much and it always feels safe. Like even if my work isn't finished, it always feels safe to read it to you. Um, That's yeah. one thing about Abril is that she can make any place and any space a home, you know? Yeah. By the way, we were really, or I was really nervous to do this. <laughs> I walked in the studio feeling like, all right, I'm going to like. I Even will. with my attempts to make this look like a living room? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what she did. And and you have that quality to you, bro. Yeah. I mean, we were all over the place. I was like, guys, I woke up so dissociated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I had a pizza in hand. Yeah. <laughs> here we are. Sandpaper throw, disassociated. Yes. We're mm-hmm. everywhere. All at once. Amen. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you both so much for coming on and being here with me. Thank you to our listeners for holding space with us today. Any last thoughts before we wrap it up? (laughs) (laughs) Laura by Pinback, everyone. (laughs) And my final piece of advice is in the true spirit of love in public, see if you can be a generous reader for someone this week. We'll see you next time. Ciao, ciao.